I'm Arlen Hamilton, founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. These are our mission and values. This is a podcast about remarkable startup cultures, why they work so hard, and the shared principles that guide them. I'm your host, Brian Landers. On today's very special episode, we're not going to meet a startup. We're going to meet a venture capitalist. She's got a story like no other, and her mission is every bit as daunting as any founder's. And definitely stick around because we're also going to speak with five founders in her fund's portfolio. The conversation about diversity in tech is not a comfortable one, but it's one we need to have and keep having. We've got a very long way to go still. I want to ask you to do something. If what you hear in this episode moves you like it moves me, share it with someone. Tweet it. Tell someone at work. Join the conversation. And we'll see you there. Today, I'm talking to Arlen Hamilton, the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. Welcome to the show, Arlen. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And thank you so much for collaborating with me on this episode. It's turning out to be a very special one. Oh, that's awesome. So tell us more about Backstage Capital. I guess let's start with where are you located? We are based in West Hollywood, California. And how big is the team now? Uh, I would say we're four people spread across the country, officially. And what funding stages do you invest in and how much do you typically invest in each company? We invest between 25000 and 100000 in our first check. Uh, usually that's pre-seed or seed. And then we um, have follow-on capital available. I think you made a bit of history with your syndicate on AngelList. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Well, I was the first black woman to lead a syndicate on AngelList when I started it last September, almost a year ago. And I still think I'm the only one, which I think is kind of crazy and unfortunate. Yeah. Now, in the first fund for Backstage Capital, you have some just incredible supporters. Can you name a few of your notable investors? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so Chris Saka, Brad Feld, uh, Heather Hiles, Mark Andreessen, Stuart Butterfield, Aaron Levy, and uh, a ton of others <laughs> uh, that are just really, really awesome people. Wow. I don't know. That's that's crazy impressive. Clearly, some very smart people think you're up to something big here. So I'm excited to hear, you know, what is the mission that you and your team are working so hard towards each and every day? Backstage Capital is exclusively focused on backing the best underrepresented founders in the country. And who are underrepresented founders for people who don't know? In our case, it, uh, we're calling it um, people of color, women, and LGBT founders. So 93% of all venture funding has historically gone to white males, and the rest are considered underrepresented. Yeah, wow. That is an uh, abysmal statistic there. Yeah. I don't think people realize how, how shockingly low those numbers are. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think that people are starting to, to understand it because of the research that's being done, which is really great. So hopefully Backstage will do its part to change those numbers. In bigger picture, how do you plan to do that? Representation is, is major for us. And just seeding uh, the ecosystem, getting capital to founders. Uh, there's a lot of talk about education and the pipeline, and which is very important, I think. 
but there aren't, in my opinion, enough checks meeting founders and they want to start a company. There's not enough capital that's being deployed to underrepresented founders, which is why they're underrepresented. Mm-hmm. So representation and, and capital. And we're going to come back to your mission in just a moment, but I want to get some context on its origins. And, you know, no one starts out their career as a venture capitalist. Some common paths are some people start out as analysts or other roles in in finance, and then they kind of work their way to partner. Some are operators within other companies or startups before moving to the investment side of the table. Sure. But your path, it doesn't look like those. Nope. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about your story. You know, what did you do before you were a VC? I probably had like 50 jobs before I was a VC, and I'm 35 now, so I probably had a ton of jobs. Um, So the most recent thing that I've done is uh, working in live music as a production coordinator and a tour manager. So I was doing that when I started learning about um, Silicon Valley and, and startups. I've seen a little bit online, and I know the caliber of the artists you worked with. Can you name a few? Sure. Uh, started out major tours with CeeLo Green from The Voice, and then went on to work with Tony Braxton, Jason Derulo, Chromio, and Janine in the Mixtape, and most recently, Will I Am. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I saw a tweet you just tweeted from Paris that looked pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. It was really, really fun. Something like 80,000 people. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, we played, uh, well, we, I didn't play, but uh, <laughs> he played in front of 80,000 people in front of the Eiffel Tower last month. Wow. And I helped with that show. And then two days later, he played at Wembley Stadium in front of another 80,000. So that was the most recent thing I did. That's incredible. Now, considering you know what your mission is about investing exclusively in underrepresented founders, have you faced any adversity in your own life? Well, certainly. Uh, I think everyone has, but uh, I I think I have a a unique point of view being a black gay woman in America. Um, Just had a few things that are uh, extra things to think about when you leave the house. I'll put it like that. (laughs) I bet. I can't even imagine. I mean... It's a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. It's a lot of fun being, yes. But definitely, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of adversity, of course. Yeah, you probably can't even go, you know, to the grocery store without some, like, like a bit of a view of the biases in place in society. Sure. Sure. There's a lot of nuanced stuff that's really hard uh, to explain if you're not experiencing it yourself, um, yeah. which, is a, which is part of the reason that I'm doing this with Backstage, because a lot of it is that people can't describe their experiences with the traditional investors. So those investors don't really believe there's a problem. You mentioned something to me when we were, you know, collaborating the other day on on what we could do with this episode. And you mentioned something about how you felt like you kind of had nothing to lose. Can you tell me a bit about why you feel that way? Yeah. So I have, you know, I've had some really amazing experiences in my life and, uh, and I've also had some, some not so great experiences. So one of those has been not having a home for, for a while, uh, several months at a time over several year period, you know, I had been in a position where I didn't have money to eat. Uh, and I've also been in a position where I've stayed at a five-star hotel in another country working for, um, an artist. So I know what both feel like and, um, there's just nothing anyone can give me or take from me that would incentivize me to 
to stray from the moral fiber and from the conviction that I have on certain things. Yeah. And, and to sort of balance that part out also, you know, you mentioned in a lot of your blog posts and things, most notably the um, Dear White Venture Capitalist story on Medium, yes. which got a lot of attention, <laughs> that this is, a, this is a business opportunity. This is about um, making money. It's not charity, you know, in, in terms of like investing in underrepresented founders. That's right. So that kind of is like the flip side of that, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, when I wake up every morning, I don't think about, you know, how am I going to socially impact uh, <laughs> things today? Yeah. I think about how do I position the fund in the best way to make return to my investors who I have a duty to now. Yep. Um, so I, and for me, you know, I was obsessed with Monopoly when I was five and I had small businesses since I was in the third grade. And, um, I consider myself a bit of a shark and this is an opportunity that's wide open. I love it. Um, here's a question VCs love to ask founders. Why now? Why raise a fund and invest in startups? You know, why is this the most important thing you can be working on? I think it's long overdue. I didn't set out to do this, but I, I didn't see it in the market. And I found that it was not only a great social impact mission, but it was a great opportunity to invest in an untapped segment of the tech startup population. And do you feel like you are in a unique position to be the person that, that goes out and does that? Sure. I'm in a unique position to be one of the people that does this. And if I'm one of the first to do it, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I hope there's a lot that follow. Yep. I hope so too. You know, based on those statistics that you mentioned earlier, it's really not hard to see the opportunity in betting on underrepresented founders. Um, that doesn't mean, of course, that like everyone is a great fit to sort of qualify as a great fit for you and backstage. That's right. So what are some things you look for in founders? Wow. Well, I will say that we backstage is seeing more than a thousand companies this year alone hmm. by underrepresented founders. And we're only investing in two to 3% of those. So we have to say no 97 out of a hundred times. Wow. Um, not everyone is ready for venture capital money mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it is based on our taste as well. Yeah. So at the seed stage, we look for just amazing, hungry, obsessed founders people who are obsessed with their product, people who who I can see they won't stop until they succeed. Mm -hmm. And I also look for people who remind me of myself and have grit and are resourceful and have an internal locus of control. So they, you know, they don't blame the world for the problems. They take responsibility. Uh, I think that's a really important uh, nuance in a founder. And is the founder able to get a team excited about them? Mm. Whether it's one person or several people, are there people working for them that are excited? Because that's a really good way to tell about their leadership skills and about them as a person. Mm -hmm. And then I don't necessarily have to understand the product because there's a lot that uh, I'm learning about on a daily basis, but I have to be excited about the potential of what they're working on. Gotcha. Yeah. 
excited to the point of like you know writing them a check is kind of a <laughs> understatement right <laughs> yeah well i mean even to get to the po- so if we see a thousand companies we may uh have serious discussions with a hundred mm-hmm. and then that whittle that down to 25 okay i'll never be able to invest in every company that i want to it's just impossible at this point mm-hmm. so there's a lot of companies that i say no to that should be getting venture funding. You know, that's part of the the complexity of venture as well. Okay, this next part is really cool. I'm pretty excited for this. We're going to meet a few founders from backstage portfolio companies to get their take on your mission and working with you in general, as well as their own experiences as underrepresented founders. So you ready for that? That's awesome. I can't wait. All right, here we go. Uh, my name is Brian Brackeen. I'm the CEO of Kairos.com. Kairos is a facial recognition platform. We do a few things really well. So uh, facial recognition, as you would imagine, this is finding one person in a million in as, as little as 700 milliseconds. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really fast. And we're actually 99.4% sure the person is who we think they are. So it's yeah, really, really strong. Uh, we do emotion recognition. So we can identify your six universal emotions just by looking at your face through any camera, webcam, you know, cell phone cam. And the third thing we do is crowd demographics. So we take a video of a, of a crowd or a mall or a shopping center or uh, you name it and understand how many people there are there, if they're paying attention to content or not. So they're listening to the speaker or they're looking at a smart screen, that sort of thing. And, and their ages and genders as well. That's incredible. So, you know, being an underrepresented founder yourself, can you tell me more about your experience with fundraising and and just being a startup founder in general? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of pieces to just society that can make it tougher in this job. And it's, it's not what you would imagine. So I find that people are really pulling for us. I find that people are excited to have met me and excited about what we're doing. I think one of the challenges is how do you get that chance to get that introduction, right? A lot of the great Ivy League schools, which a lot of people go to for, for sourcing their talent, have really great legacy programs, which is if you're, your mother or father or grandfather attended Stanford or Harvard, you get a chance to go. You simply don't have that kind of history or legacy in a lot of the underrepresented groups. Right. And then some of the schools that I think underrepresented founders do go to are somewhat, you don't see a lot of the, kind of large, the Apples and the Googles going there to get talent, engineering talent and otherwise. So if you didn't go to, you know, let's say Stanford, and but you also didn't work at Facebook or Google or Apple, it's, it's tougher to kind of convince somebody of the, the pedigree of the founder. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I have a bit of the opposite situation. So I've got the greatest badge of honor, which is I dropped out of college. She's <laughs> <laughs> I'm destined for success. Yep. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, I also worked at Apple for two years during the Steve Jobs years. So uh, oh, wow. it's a lot of what VCs are looking for. Uh, one of the things to note is that Kairos isn't located in the valley. We're based in Miami, Florida. You've got a, a large number of minority angel investors. Hmm. For every three startups in California, there's one angel investor. For every one startup in Florida, there are three angel investors. And so that also certainly helps. I think uh, you know when money is involved, it certainly helps to kind of erase some of the color lines. Tell me the story of how you met Arlen and got involved with Backstage Capital. She she had a really interesting blog post um, called Dear White Venture Capitalists, talking about the industry, where we were, and how we could do better. I just started to kind of follow her and what she was doing. And then we got a chance to talk. We, we were kind of introduced online. 
and uh, yeah, just kind of a proverbial love at first sight. <laughs> you know, she That's wonderful. Her vision for her fund, and these are certainly not handouts. You know, she has very high expectations of myself and the other headliners, um, and I have also very high expectations for uh, for her as a venture capitalist. You know, um, she's in the top two or three of all of our investors. I mean, she really answers the phone twenty four hours a day, busts her butt to get us meetings, intros, in front of the right people. I really feel like she's like a partner uh, in the business. And I think I, I like to believe that we are the same. When I think about our growth, as of a month ago, we, we processed 2.4 million faces that month. So we've grown 5,044% in less than a year. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So we're not just doing you know good work for kind of African-Americans. We're doing good work for all startups. Uh, and if we can be successful together, what impact will that have on everybody else kind of going forward? Uh, and so I think it's a very altruistic kind of... Uh, goal. It's certainly capitalistic in its means, um, but we're certainly trying to do something bigger as well. Yeah. And any other thoughts on the mission of Backstage Capital or diversity in tech in general? Yeah. I feel very strongly about this, that underrepresented founders do not hamper yourself with the thought that that someone's not going to give you money based on your race or gender or age. In my experience, it's certainly not the case. Of the hundred or so investors that we have in Kairos, six, you know, are black. Um, the other ninety-four are not, uh, and they put their money down as well as everybody else because we're doing something big. We're showing them value. We're growing the way we should be growing. Um, we're doing good work. If you just kind of eliminate the idea of failure from your head, uh, you can be successful. I am a firm believer that, you know, I was put on this earth to make a big change in people's lives every day. And that is uh, all of our mission at Kairos. We feel like we're, we're well on the way. Well, Brian, I'm so impressed with Kairos and you as a founder. So I'm just so glad to talk to you and help spread the word. And I'm excited to see what you do next. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, Carol S.B. Wilson. I'm the CEO and founder of OmniSpeech. And what is OmniSpeech? Well, it's a software development company. We're specializing in pulling speech out of background noise for various applications, including the mobile space, push-to-talk devices. At some point, we plan to be in hearing aids and maybe cochlear implants, and also wanting to improve the performance of speech recognition systems. Now, I was completely blown away by your background online. It's very (laughs) impressive. Would you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Okay. Well, um, I went to Stanford as an undergrad and got my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Uh, And from there, went to MIT and got my master's, my engineer's degree, and my PhD in electrical engineering. Since that time, well, I did a research scientist stint for two to three years at MIT, and then I became a professor. I'm still in the academy. I'm still a professor at the University of Maryland College Park right now. I started OmniSpeech based on technology we developed in my laboratory. And have you ever heard anything in your experience that's made you kind of wonder about, you know, biases in place? Definitely in terms of even the academy. Uh, After my master's degree... I decided I 
really enjoyed research and wanted to continue. And I had a professor say to me or question me and say, ask me, didn't I want to get married and have a family someday? And uh, I told him, yes, I did want to do those things, but that I thought that wasn't orthogonal to getting my PhD, that I felt like I could do all of that. I always, I mean, I faced a lot of that sort of um, prejudice against my being an electrical engineer. I think mainly because I was a woman. Uh, you know, one time a guy that worked in the same building that I worked in uh, during a summer internship, I did not work directly with him. But for some reason, I had to go to his office to ask about something. And he says to me, uh, what is a pretty girl like you wanting to be an electrical engineer for? Hmm. <laughs> you know? wow. So, you know, so there's always that. It's hard to tease out the different isms when you are at the intersection of several of them. So I can't really say why it's been as difficult as it has been. It may be that this is just par for the course, but I'm a fighter. And so I am determined to win here um, one way or another. Mm -hmm. So well, that's great to hear. So tell me, how did you come to work with Arlen in Backstage Capital? Well, there was an article that was in a newspaper and actually my husband saw the article and he sent it to me and I read about her and I was like, wow, I think hers was the first company I saw that was focusing on funding, you know, underrepresented minorities. And so maybe I just Googled her mm -hmm. and found her email address and I just sent her an email and asked her if we could talk. And that began our relationship. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts specifically on Arlen's mission to invest exclusively in underrepresented founders? There are very few companies that have been founded by minorities that get funding, uh, significant funding. And so given the huge difference, the gap between underrepresented minorities and others in terms of our ability to get funding, we have a need to have organizations like Arlen, Backstage Capital, focus primarily on us. Do you have any thoughts on diversity in startups in general or, or any advice for other underrepresented founders out there? In my case, I was not wishing to be an entrepreneur. Hmm. My main motivation when I started was to improve the quality of life for other people. And in particular, I thought this technology could help People with hearing impairments have a quality of life. And that's my passion. And I think when you're passionate about what you're doing, you won't give in. You will continue to fight to see that is done. And so I, I think it would be important for people to go with their passions, whatever that is. If that's something that can be some service or some technology that could benefit quality of life for other people, I think you have to go for it and try to make a difference. And you have to believe in yourself. Well, Carol, I'm just so impressed with you and Omni Speech. And I think that end mission, that's this passion driving you is, is going to get you there, no doubt about it. And I think the world will be better once we're there. So thank you for the work you do. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. My name's Eric Bryant. I'm the founder and the CEO of Text Engine. Text Engine is a text message search engine. Think Google with text messages. Uh, it enables you to access information from the web by sending and receiving text messages. The primary audience 
are United States residents who use dumb phones. Uh, these tend to be um, people in a lower income bracket. Uh, every penny they can save really makes a difference. So there are still about 76 million plus users in the United States who still use flip phones and feature phones. So we wanted to give them a way to be able to supercharge their dumb phones and make their dumb phones smarter. And that's the target audience for TextEngine. What's the story of how you came to work with Arlen and Backstage Capital? I just always believed that there was someone, some investor out there that would see the value and that would see the possibility and would be willing to take a risks on us. Twitter really was an amazing medium for making connections. That's how I first connected with Arlen. I was following certain hashtags that investors use on Twitter. Interesting. And through that, I discovered a Medium post that she wrote about what she was trying to achieve in the world of venture capital. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I read her Ebony feature. And as I learned more about her vision, I was so inspired and, and hopeful. And I thought, all we need is one. <laughs> we just need one person to take us seriously and catch our vision. So I first reached out to Arlen. We exchanged a series of email correspondences about her fund and my startup and our needs. Then she, she said, uh, we're going to take a chance on you and, and, and give you some capital. So. Mm -hmm. well, that's got to be exciting. Tell me about your thoughts on what Arlen's up to with her mission at Backstage Capital. Most of the investment funds have a particular focus. And I think Arlen has chosen an underrepresented founders as her focus. And I think it makes sense for her. Backstage Capital doesn't just want to invest in companies. They want to try to level the playing field of venture capital. For example, I saw one in Newark, New Jersey. They have a new startup incubator that they're beginning this year. And I, when, you, when I went to the website to apply, I saw like no people of color on their staff. And they had a fairly, fairly large staff. Uh, so I started researching it and I just, I went to Wikipedia to look up the uh, ethnic makeup of Newark. And Newark is like 86% non-white. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's a, and so I thought you have a city of half a million people, 86% non-white, and you have these accelerators and venture funds that don't have any people of color on staff. So there probably is something to this disparity or lack of, lack of exposure or opportunity for minorities. And, and I'm just thrilled that Arlen is really trying to level the playing field there. So what's next for you? Can you give us an update on Text Engine? We are trying to aid in the refugee situation in Syria. Uh, it was one of the major needs of the of the refugees is internet connections as they come from Syria into Turkey and, and Pakistan. And so our mission has always been to connect the offline world and to bring the internet to people who don't have it and most need it. And those people tend to be people in emerging markets. They tend to be refugees coming from other countries. They tend to be people in poorer countries that don't have the smartphone technology and infrastructure that we have. There's a lot of people around the world that really desperately need the free flow of information that the internet provides. And so to be able to do something like this with refugee organizations would be really a, an amazing thing that really is right in line with our mission. 
That is excellent. So I wish you the best of luck and I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate your time. I am Ania Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of Tinsel, and we create tech jewelry for women, transforming tech accessories into fashion accessories. That sounds great. And what are your thoughts on Arlen's mission? Arlen's mission is, it's very timely. Arlen has done a really great job of pinpointing people who really deserve a fair shake. I mean, I think that Right now, across the board, raising funds for startups is a little bit harder than it was, you know, a year ago. Arlen is willing to get out there, dig into it, really do the work of trying to find people who have promise and ideas that really do resonate with uh, a group that in itself is underrepresented. For instance, my company, Tinsel is driven towards creating consumer electronics for women. And, you know, we are always an afterthought in terms of what our needs are when it comes to electronics and hardware. And so that's something that I want to change. Can you tell me more about your personal experience with fundraising and being an underrepresented founder? Yeah. um, When you think about fundraising and talking to investors, something that is very commonly talked about, which I think is true, is pattern matching. Like I think they frequently identify opportunities based off of things that they've seen that have been successful instead of really evaluating every opportunity on a case-by-case basis, truly. Mm-hmm. I don't fit the mold of the typical founder that they're getting to talk to. So case in point, I'm a black woman. And in addition to that, I was pregnant for part of the time that I was raising. So that was a thing. And then on top of that, you know, building a company where the target demographic is, you know, women and the main goal behind it is making things fashionable. Like these are just not like hitting the notes of what people are typically looking at and looking for. Mm -hmm. I think Arlen. Um, She really does evaluate everyone individually in terms of, you know, do they have that get up and go, that grit and what it needs in there, you know, determined to make this thing happen. And in addition to, is this an opportunity? Is there a great market here? You know, and and all of the other things that the typical investor would be evaluating. Yeah. Um, Well, if it's not too personal, like, can you tell us more about what it was like for you fundraising while you were pregnant? Yeah. Okay. So my experience being pregnant and building this company and fundraising for part of that pregnancy was the fact that I knew that inherently there would be some people who would be fine with it and there would be some people who weren't. And so, um, you know, I basically tried to hide me being pregnant for as long as possible, like to a ridiculous point, like (laughs) where if you knew me at least and you saw me, then you were kind of like, um, did I miss something? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But like, you know, at a certain point, once I started to like show so much, I kind of, you know, let the cat out of the bag. I felt like Mm -hmm. it was a card I had to hold very closely because you really don't know how an investor is going to react to that. It really depends on their ideas around family and work. And I think that a lot of investors, uh, or not even, I shouldn't just like categorize investors across the board. I'd say a lot of people Mm. think about leaders of a company in terms of these like two dimensional people who only care about making their company successful. And that's it. Everything else in the world is like irrelevant, which is true. And also not a very healthy way to try to build a company because I, I don't think that you would manage to stay sane throughout the process. Yeah. 
And so, you know, like I am a person, I am a woman and, you know, it wasn't necessarily my plan to have a baby while trying to build a startup, but you know, it happened and you, you roll with the punches and like, that's the classic thing of building a company, right? Like shit gets thrown at you all the time that you can't expect and you just, you got to keep pushing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what marks the winner. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for your honesty and for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And how, how important was it to the trajectory of Tinsel that Arlen invested? You know, how important was that check that she wrote for you? Oh God. So important. Arlen's funds were, were very timely and keeping us going towards our next milestones. I think that getting a hardware company off the ground is incredibly hard to do. Mm -hmm. But once you're out there, if you have a product that's selling and people are excited about your brand and what you're doing, like it has a multiplier effect that I think grows a company much more quickly. Where we're like, okay, we're making this one product right now, but we could launch three products next year. Yeah. Arlen has been more than someone who, you know, we had a couple of good conversations and she wrote me a check and then I like went off to do this thing. Mm -hmm. It's really been that she's been a partner. It's really refreshing and it just makes me feel so good to know that she's on Team Tinsel. Do you have any messages or just anything you'd want to say to other underrepresented founders out there? I believe now more than ever that the biggest assets founders of color are going to bring into the success of their company is finding ways to make revenue more quickly. Mm. Um, the bar is higher for us. It just is whether people want it to be or not. Um, whether people think it is or not, you got to come with more founders of color, underrepresented founders, women, because we typically have to work, you know, X times is hard. We're used to having to do more with less. This is kind of the theme of our entire lives, right? That's the approach that we have to continue to have when we think about building a company is thinking about doing more with less and like being able to achieve some of the like significant milestones that you can with, you know, the pennies that you have. So that's my advice. Ania, thank you so much for sharing your honest opinion about these things. I think it's going to mean a lot to other people. And I know personally, I just can't wait to see that third product that you're going to make. So good luck and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So my name is KG Charles Harris and I am the CEO of Quarium, which is an artificial intelligence startup working with combining data from many different data sources, making people able to just talk to your machine uh, or write to your machine and ask it questions and have a conversation. Excellent. And what are your thoughts on being an underrepresented founder and sort of talking openly about adversity and hardship you face? It's like talking to someone who is LGBT. If you're an executive and you're a member of that community, the last thing you would like to speak about is how LGBTs are discriminated about. What you do is that you give money to it, you talk about it within your own group, and you devise strategies for how to deal with it. But people who are advocates of the LGBT community, such as Mark Benioff... I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, he isn't one himself. And as a consequence of not being one himself, he cannot be targeted for that. Now, if you're part of a minority group or a vulnerable community, you the last thing you would want to do as an individual is to make yourself more vulnerable by drawing attention to the fact that you're vulnerable, especially 
if your job is to present strength. Yes, which is totally the role of the startup founder, especially the CEO, correct? Exactly. And what is some of the adversity you'd say you've faced? Uh, let me give you one story. I've been to about 230 investor meetings here in Silicon Valley, and I've been to about 12 in uh, the Deep South, Louisiana. Okay. I have raised 10 times as much money in the Deep South as I've raised here. This is supposedly the racist South, but the challenge really is that here no one is a racist, but no one actually opens their doors for you either. Yeah, it seems like it can be really subtle. Um, it seems related also to recruiting and hiring at startups. Right. Okay, so culture fit is a nice word to, to exclude people. So there isn't the culture fit. And it's the same thing also with VCs and it's the same thing with so on. That's why I believe that Ireland's initiative is so essential because she will invest in these groups that are marginalized. And the fact that they're marginalized means that if you essentially fight your way up and you rise above a certain level, you're better, brighter, and more able to succeed than others because you've been essentially honed from iron to steel in the furnace. Wonderful statement there. That's, that's a really poetic way of expressing it. And how did you come to meet Arlen? I saw Arlen on a group email. And she said that she was going to raise a fund. I said, wow, it's great that someone, a black woman who is gay is going to raise a fund to invest in people who are marginalized. Great initiative. So I reached out and I congratulated her on it. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started striking up contact. I said, hey, let me help you in any way I can. And she said, let me help you in any way I can. <laughs> I like that. And as part of the due diligence, she introduced me to Susan. And Susan became an advisor for us and has been extremely helpful in all manner of ways. Susan's now a partner at Backstage, is that correct? Yes. Was it specifically that mission? What was it that precisely got you to say yes to each other? First, the audaciousness of her mission. Mm -hmm. She's obviously audacious. Yeah. So I, I respected that. And then over time, I have seen her battling and completely against the grain and actually managing to succeed. So she is a founder mm. and she's a founder like most founders that have no background in what they're founding or may have some background or align themselves with people with background, but they have a vision. And they're executing towards that vision, despite all obstacles. Yeah. I can say that, for me, Arlan is an inspiration. Because she's more of an outsider than I am, in many ways. I look at Arlan and I say, wow, if Arlan can do it, I can. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your input and your time, KG. I really appreciate it. And keep up the great work. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. So Arlen, here we are. Yeah. And I'd just love to hear your reaction to what these founders had to say. Hearing, hearing those things, you know, hearing them say that um, makes me emotional. 
And I don't know if venture capitalists are supposed to be emotional, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it makes me emotional. And it really, this has been a very, um, very challenging journey, putting this fund together and operating the fund. And so when I hear things like that, uh, from founders that I've worked with, it really instills that mission in me once more, you know, it reaffirms it. Yeah. And it, it's touching. It's absolutely, it's like, you know, when I think back to when I was first starting and I was thinking like, how cool would it be to, to get more capital to underrepresented founders? And I was meeting all these people that I felt deserved that, uh, the capital they weren't getting. Mm-hmm. And to look back at that point when it was just an idea and when it was just a hope and to know that we've, we've actually done it. We have so much more to do, but to just be able to look at this, what we've accomplished so far and, and how it's impacting that it, it just reaffirms that what we're doing is on the right path and that, um, you know, that can't be taken away from us now. That's, it's happened. It's, it's written in history. I have to say it also made me so incredibly proud. So incredibly proud because if you listen to what they're saying, I mean, it's nuanced. It's complex. It's not just black or white. And they are, they are brilliant and they represent many more that we're working with. It's, it's like we're, we're all in this together and we're moving forward together. That is what this is all about. It's really overwhelming in a, in a good way. And it, it gives me the fuel to keep going and to um, just go full speed ahead. Yeah. Yep. Well, is there anything you can share about what's next for Backstage? I know VCs have a bit of a, um, you know, legal stuff around like what they can and can't say, but is there anything you can share about what's next? Sure. We're just going to keep building the fund out. Uh, we'll be able to announce fund size and portfolio size um, later this year. And my goal is to invest in a hundred companies with underrepresented founders uh, over the next three years and meet them all at series A and series B uh, if they hit the right metrics. That's going to be amazing. I just can't wait to see you get there. And for now, where can people follow along and even get involved with your mission? Sure. Well, start at the website, which is backstagecapital.com. You can follow me personally across um, social media at Arlen was here, A-R-L-A-N was here. So Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. I'm kind of older-ish. I'm getting old, <laughs> so I'm figuring out the Snapchat thing, but I'm going to be doing more of that. Oh, also Medium. Yes. Excellent. And I continue, I'll, I plan on being loud and <laughs> speaking my mind for for the duration. I hope you do. I really do. I think it's important. So Arlen, it is such a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm just so grateful that you exist in the world. And Oh, thank you. And you're trying to make it better. So keep going, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You can find show notes and sign up for the email list on missionandvalues.co. The theme music is by Shane Ensley. Now, if you made it this far in the show, I hope that means you really liked it. And if you did, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It really helps. Hit me with your feedback. 
I'm at Brian Landers, that's Brian with a Y on Twitter, or you can email brian at missionandvalues.co. Thank you so much for listening. We had a great time making this episode for you. Stay tuned for next time on Mission and Values.